I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2019 Strip-Till Farmer Podcast Series. In today's program, we get some expert advice on how strip-tillers can utilize in-field examination of their soil health to increase functionality. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you will be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to TopCon Agriculture for its support of this podcast series. Agronomy matters, and TopCon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX boom height control, monitoring and mapping, to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. Well, when it comes to soil health, it can be easy to embrace an if-it-ain't-broke-don't-fix-it mentality. Strip-tillers are accustomed to taking a systematic approach to consistently produce a high-quality crop. But in some cases, looks can be deceiving, and it's important to understand how soil function is a catalyst for successful cover cropping, residue management, and water infiltration. Stephanie McLean, Indiana NRCS soil health specialist, notes that farmers need to dig into the dirty details of their soil health and be proactive managers of soil function. As she says, it's easy to take soil function for granted until you don't have it anymore. You need to be asking questions up front about the performance of your soils and know why they do what they do for you. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, Stephanie explains how to analyze and activate soil function, utilizing different infield assessment tools and indicators to promote organic stability and growth. What exactly is soil function? What is it that we expect and kind of take for granted that our soil does for us? First and foremost, one of the most important soil functions that we deal with when we look at our cropping systems is that we expect the soil to infiltrate and store water. We want that raindrop to land on our field, soak into the soil, and be held there for when we need it, when that crop needs it later in the growing season. If we're at field capacity and we no longer can hold that water, we expect that soil to then filter that water, filtering out those pollutants, and when that water leaves our system, it should be as clean or cleaner when it first landed there. We also expect our soil to cycle nutrients. We want our soil to scavenge and hold available nutrients at the end of the growing season. We want our soil to assist with residue breakdown so these nutrients are being released when we need them for the next growing season. Also, we expect our soils to provide physical stability and support. Our soil has to be a stable platform to perform our farming operations on, and that is a function of our soil. The last one here on this list today is that our soil, when it's functioning, is a home for soil life, a habitat and a home where these things can thrive and function and work properly. When we have all of these things and they're functioning at a high level, we have resiliency in our cropping system, which is also considered a function. We look at resiliency from the viewpoint of being resilient to plant pests or plant diseases. We look at resiliency when it comes to drought stressors or excessive wet conditions. A system that's functioning on all cylinders 
is able to function through whatever curveball Mother Nature or the system throws at it and rebound and continue to function successfully. So if we don't have function, we have what I like to refer to as a loss of function. And part of the reason why I bring this up today is because whether we really want to admit this or not, most of the fields that we are working on and farming across this country have had some level of degradation and loss of function occur on them. So typically when I'm talking to a farmer about soil function, it's because they have larger and larger ponding on their field or their residue is no longer breaking down and it's now become trash. And these types of things indicate to me that there's a loss of function. So that'll be a problem that someone asks a question about. Other times when I'm talking to people about this, it's because they've just recently started on their soil health journey. So they've implemented the soil health management practices or principles that I promote as a NRCS employee and that a lot of people are talking about across the country. And all of a sudden they're starting to see function come back. And they didn't realize that they had even lost it in the first place until it starts to return. So when we don't have function, we have ponding. Instead of water infiltrating, we have ponding and we have runoff. If we don't have nutrient cycling, we have plant available nutrients leaving our system in massive quantities into our water system. Or we have residue that's, again, not breaking down. If we don't have a stable soil, we have soil particles that are blowing around freely in the wind. Or when you go in that field, you make a lot of ruts or have increased compaction because it's not a stable platform. And again, if we don't have habitat, it's not that we don't have soil life, but the soil life that's typically benefiting our cropping system is not there uh, to the degree that we want it. And we tend to see increased incidences of pests and or diseases. So when we talk about trying to bring function back to our soils, I really want to talk about or promote our soil health principles. Because when you look at your management system, whatever cropping system that you're working in and however you're working those soils or, or not working those soils, applying these principles and asking yourself these questions can help you identify if you are gaining or losing soil function. So again, trying to minimize soil disturbance as much as possible. Typically, we talk about that from the viewpoint of tillage or the lack of tillage, but that also means chemical and biological disturbances. So evaluating those disturbances and wondering if how and when and how much can you minimize. Also, we look at trying to maximize soil cover. So we have as much cover out there as possible at all times of the year. Those two principles play a huge role in providing protection to our soil to allow function to regain. The other two principles, looking at maximizing biodiversity and then also maximizing living roots, look at feeding and providing food for our system, for the soil biology. When you really think about it, it all comes right back down to that plant doing a successful job of photosynthesis. When we have living roots in the soil for as long as possible, we're harvesting sunlight. And we wanna do that as long as we can throughout the year. Because when we're harvesting sunlight, we're converting sunlight into energy and sugars. And a good portion of those are being exuded through our plant roots and into the soil to feed that biology, who are going to work for us to help bring function back into our soil. When I talk about her, when Jack mentioned eight assessments, these are some of the assessments that I do in the field. I listed them up there in no particular order. We have soil cover. We look at soil crusting. We look at residue breakdown. I evaluate roots and pores, aggregate stability biological activity, compaction, and soil color. 
So I guess, like Jack said here, I brought some props along today just to kind of keep everyone focused on what we're going to do when we head out into the field. Always take a shovel with you in the field. Always take a shovel with you in the field. Always take a shovel with you in the field. This is my favorite tool to use, and when I'm working on doing these assessments and diagnostics, I dig a lot of holes. Your goal is to try to have a 12-inch to 18-inch diameter hole. If possible, try to dig it 12 to 18 inches deep. You want to get in there, and you want to have this hole there so that you can then work with the soil that you've dug out, dig some other soil up to look at that profile. But it's really important to have a shovel. Some of the other tools that I take around with me when I go in the field, I always carry a handy-dandy bucket because how else do you get that stuff out there when you have to walk around in the field? I have no shortage of knives with me. I never know what size I'm going to need when I'm out in the field. And I will say, if you guys get too rough with me or you're not paying attention, I'll start hauling them out for those types of reasons as well. But when you are digging into the soil, you need to have the tools to do that successfully. And so I just have a large variety of knives with me. I always carry a soil thermometer because someone will inevitably ask the question, well, what was the soil temperature wearing out there? So carry a soil thermometer. I like to measure that soil temperature somewhere in that neighborhood of two to four inches deep. I like two. I like four as well, so sometimes I average it out with two and a half to three inches deep. But soil temperature. Sink strainers and cups. This is for one of the diagnostics that I'll show you in a little bit. Infiltration ring. If you are interested in measuring infiltration on your soil, uh, this is just a six-inch diameter grain leg ring or irrigation tubing ring, and uh, you just cut it off about six inches long, and you pound that into the soil and pour 444 milliliters into there, and that's the inch of water, so you can evaluate infiltration on your soil. Again, tools of the trade that I take with me everywhere I go. So the first diagnostic or assessment that we're going to look at, and if you notice, I kind of interchange those words, diagnostic and assessment. And the part of the reason why is because these are assessment tools, but when I'm out in the field doing these, I really want people to start thinking about this, or when you're out in the field doing this on your field, consider yourself to be what a crop consultant or a field agronomist would do for you, right? They're field scouting. They're looking for certain conditions or things out there in the field to indicate to them what's going on. I'm just doing the exact same thing with the soil. And this is a really important process that we need to key into. Let the soil tell us what's going on out there. Biological activity. I didn't start with biological activity because alphabetically it was the first one on the list, although it is. I started with biological activity because it is the most important soil function and diagnostic that we want to look at. The reason this is the most important is because we've been finding out and learning about soil life, and what we're finding out is that over 90% of the functions that occur in our soil are regulated by soil biology. And by regulated, I mean they're started, they're stopped, they're mitigated, they're buffered. Anything that happens in our soil is regulated, at least 90% of that, regulated by soil life. So that literally means that everything I talk about after this one right here is going to be all about soil biology, or is going to be built on soil life. So we have to start with this one. So when you're out in the field and you're going to look at trying to do a diagnostic on soil biology, I dug that hole, right? And I got that, a nice little pile of soil that I excavated out. 
The first thing I like to do is look at observations of different types of living organisms there, from saprophytic fungi or small mites, those red soil mites, to larger organisms such as earthworms or beetles. And just generally do a count of those things that are out there. If you do this regularly, at least once a year, you can kind of see if that number is changing, increasing or decreasing. With that count, it's really good to do it in the spring or maybe towards the end of the year in the fall. In the heat of the summer, it's really hard to get a decent counter, to get a general inventory of all the things that you're seeing out there, just because it's hot and it's dry. If you're really interested in soil life, the next thing that you can really do is you can take it a step further and look at pitfall traps. Pitfall trap is an entomologist's dream of looking at insects that are walking across the soil. And for you, it's a really good indicator of if you have predators in your fields. Lots of times the things that will fall into there will be carabid beetles or spiders. And both of those things right there, at any given time in their life cycle, they are never anything but a predator. By that I mean they're not a pest to your cropping system. They are predators. You want to have predators in your cropping system. They eat pests that are out there. They're generalists, so they'll eat lots of different things. But having predators in your cropping system is a confirmation to you that you have lower trophic levels of food for them to eat. And so then you have a healthy system and you have biological activity out there. We'll get back to our discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, Topcon Agriculture, for making this podcast possible. And welcome in Dr. Ray Acevedo, former assistant professor of precision agriculture at Kansas State University and consultant for Topcon Agriculture. In this week's technology tips with Dr. Ray, he discusses the logical and practical entry points for optical sensing technology. Out of all these optical sensor technologies, satellites, drones, active optical sensors, where should a person start? What would be Dr. Ray's recommendation for that? Well, that depends, my friend. No. <laughs> no, one of the best ones that you can start with, you, you caught me, I'm, I'm going to say that depends again, on your environment, only because of cloud cover. Remember me mentioning that free satellite stuff? It's actually some of the best multi-spectral crop stress detection stuff out there, and the great thing is is because it scales. So I can cover your entire farm with a one satellite image. And so from a crop monitoring standpoint that has a low barrier to entry as far as costs go, satellite imagery is one of the best one. Now to be more specific is one called Sentinel-2. Sentinel-2 is arguably, and it was put out by the European Space Agency and they collaborated with the US on it and those kind of things. There's two of them out there and they go over your field every five days. And that information already comes in calibrated, it's free, and a lot of these different ag platforms out there today actually offer it as a service, but they put a small charge on there for processing. But it's still significantly cheaper than making a drone investment. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Stephanie McLean on a few of the soil diagnostic tests she likes to run to assess soil health. Next diagnostic that we want to talk about here is our roots and our pores. And I'm going to bring up two terms that I like to use, and that's biopores and rhizosheaths. The reason why we talk about biopores and not just pores goes back to the fact that the pores that we want to see in that field or in that soil are created either by our plant roots or by our soil life. Hence, 
biopores. When we look for biopores, what we want to talk about is the continuity of that pore. Do we see it running through the soil and does it come up to the surface? And then for rhizosheaths, when I talk about a rhizosheath, it's very similar to a rhizosphere, but the rhizosheath is that area immediately around that root, that soil that's right there kind of sticking to the root. If I were to take that plant right there and pull it out of the soil, that rhizosheath would pull right off of that root because the exudates are the reason why, the plant exudates are the reason why that rhizosheath is there. What you wanna do again is you wanna dig your plants out and gently shake the soil off of them to see if you have a rhizosheath. And again, that's an indicator to you of biological activity. That's an indicator to you that your plant is working to feed its system, and it's an indicator to you that you have an active soil. So again, I would just kind of go through my field and, and do that indicator at various places. If you're lucky enough to have someone dig you a soil pit, you can look for roots and pores way down at 40 inches deep, and you can then identify things like earthworm channels that are darkened because of organic matter deposition and different things like that. Or you can see here an earthworm channel that's kind of full of like a cache of roots and residues and other things like that, a very biologically active place for your plant roots to be. But if you can't dig down that deep, the other thing is, is just looking at those roots. Are your tap roots going straight down or are they going horizontally? Hence, you have a compaction layer. Are there aggregates that are sticking to your roots all around it? Again, indicating that you have aggregate stability and you have the biology that's actively working there. Do you have rhizosheaths on all of the roots that you're looking at? So these are just, again, questions and observations that you wanna do in your field. The last diagnostic that I have here is soil color. And I always talk about this one with maybe a little bit of, I'm not gonna call it trepidation, but again, just soil color is very dependent on the location where you are and the region in which you live in. But we've known for a long time that soil color is kind of an indicator of soil organic matter. The darker the soil you have in general, the more organic matter you have in your field. But again, I wanna talk about that with just to have you guys think about the fact that that is very regional dependent. If we talk about the five soil forming factors, there's four of them that are very unchanging. That's your parent material, that's topography, the location on which that soil was formed. So again, what the parent material that soil was formed in, the location on which it was formed, the temperature at which it was formed in, or the climate, and then the time. How long did it take for that soil to form? We really don't have any impact on any of those factors. But the fifth one is biological activity. Again, we're coming back to soil biology. So again, a soil forming factor is how active your soil is, how much biology you have in that soil, and how much, again, the nutrients are cycling and those things are going on there. So that's a big one to think about when we talk about soil color and organic matter. What I would recommend as an indicator or as a diagnostic out in the field is every soil out there in the country or almost every soil in the entire country has been mapped and has a soil color or a soil name associated with it. And you can find out what that color is and then you can actually find a color chip. This is a Munsell soil color book. Find that color chip, go out to that field and look at that soil 
with that Munsell chip and compare it. Is that soil lighter or darker than what it was originally mapped 50 years ago or 30 years ago? That's one of those things that you can do to assess that soil color. But the other thing I want you to keep in mind is that as we look for indicators of organic matter, it takes time to build up organic matter, right? Here on this chart that I got, it took about 20 years for this farmer to increase his organic matter 2%. When you go back and do the math on that, that's about a tenth of a percent of organic matter a year. That's not something that you're gonna see every year in a soil test. There's not gonna be a big change with that every year. That's not something that you're gonna notice every year when you look at your soil chart. This is again one of those retrospective things that you can do with good information and data collection on your farm to ask yourself, is my soil organic matter increasing or decreasing or have I flatlined? Well, thank you, Stephanie, for sharing some advice based on your in-field experience helping farmers better activate their soil function. And again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for helping make this Strip-Till Farmer podcast series possible. And I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free strip-till strategies daily e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptillfarmr and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. I hope that you'll join us next time for the first episode in our 2020 podcast series. For Stephanie McLean, Topcon Agriculture, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, have a happy new year. I'm Jack Zemlicka. Thanks for listening. <laughs>